0: the moment you start to wonder if you deserve better, you do. If you feel stuck in a relationship that has become toxic, you need to listen to my next guest talk about all of the symptoms of toxic relationships and how you can get out of it. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Unapologetically KK. My guest today is Dr. Tharaya Kanafani, who has been on the podcast earlier, and she's here to talk to us about toxic relationships. Hello, Dr. Tharaya, and thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a great uh, experience the first time, and I'm loving to
0: keep doing this. (laughs) Thank you so much. I mean, we're talking about some very important topics here that really need to be spoken about a lot more than they are at the moment. Mental health toxic relationships, abusive relationships. And I think what I am finding more and more, the more I do this, the more I realize that a lot of people in these situations find that they're dealing with this on their own. They're lonely. They don't know where to go. They don't know who to speak to and how to navigate these difficult emotional situations. So can you just tell us what really defines a toxic relationship? Well, when you think of a toxic relationship,
1: you want to consider this is a kind of relationship that really drains you. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a relationship where you feel emotionally and energetically just depleted. And as time moves forward, you feel a sense of like you're losing yourself, you're losing your happiness, you're not comfortable. There's just a lot of things. You're not connected to the individual, but there's just a lot of things where you feel over time start to diminish in your mental well-being as well as your even your physical well-being.
0: Right. And that is not something that will happen immediately. This could be something that could creep up on you. Absolutely. It could be something that you've been in a relationship for a long time. And then all of a sudden you get into this negative pattern
1: mm-hmm.
0: of of communicating with each other or rather not communicating with each other. Not effectively communicating. Absolutely. Exactly. So how does that happen? Like how does a person go into, for example, a marriage, you go into a marriage, obviously you're happy to be with each other and, and commit yourself to each other. And then over time, You get into this pattern. So how does that creep up on you? Well, you know, I think it's uh, similar to, um,
1: if I have to make it synonymous to something, you want to think of when you're in school, Mm -hmm. right? When you're trying to study for a final exam, you don't wait until the last minute before you study and you'll do a great job. You have to sort of take care of your studying and your study patterns and your organization every single day. It's the same thing with a marriage. Um, We think just because we get married, all of a sudden, everything's going to be rosy and things are going to work out from there. And then that's where your life really kicks off. That's actually not the case. Mm. A lot of the times what happens when people get married, they start to not put in the effort that they used to before when they were dating. Mm. Or even, you know, even if it's like an arranged marriage and they start, they start to put in the effort. But after a while, it sort of dwindles down. So what happens to marriages or, or relationships in general is that we stop evaluating what is happening. We we stop evaluating what is working and what is not. And we start to let things go, start to throw things under the rug here and there. And we start to let things slide. We start to lose the initial values that we had, the standards that we had given to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we sort of let it go until we get to a point where like, or hold on a second, like who am I anymore? Yeah. I've let go so much that I have, Held on to dearly before I was married or before I was in this relationship. Now I feel a sense of emptiness.
0: Right. But this is something that I guess when you get into a, a relationship and a long-term relationship or a marriage, you start making compromises. You know, you, you, because you are in love, you feel that's what you want to do. And then is it over time you just feel like you're losing yourself. And and like, why does that kick in after a certain period of time? Because you're okay to make those compromises when you first start out. Mm -hmm. And then you become overwhelmed with actually losing your sense of identity at a certain point in your life to feel, I've given up my control because I have compromised to such a degree that I don't even know who I am without this relationship anymore? Well, you know, that's a really important question. And I think to to really examine
1: that, we need to take a step back and define what relationships are. Mm -hmm. So when you really look at a relationship, just a regular relationship, there are two sides to a relationship. There's the love side that people talk about. And then there's the commitment side. Now in the love side, most people, they think love is, you know, that butterflies in the stomach, the yeah, excitement the to cliche. see somebody, the Hollywood sort of driven definition. Yeah. Well, I'm not being cynical. It's just, we know that love isn't doesn't work that way. That's lust. That's like biochemical stuff in your body that's yeah. reacting. But yeah. the reality of love in a relationship sense is actually fivefold. And on a basic bottom level, it's respect and trust. Mm. From respect and trust, you develop something we call vulnerability, which is what you allow yourself to be open and emotionally open with your partner. And you feel that you can connect to them on that level. Mm -hmm. Once you start to feel vulnerable with your partner, then you move into what we call intimacy and friendship. And intimacy is not just physical intimacy, but it's also emotional intimacy. Absolutely, It's that emotional connection with your partner. So all of these five things together will be called love Mm. is what truly is love in a relationship. So if you're in a relationship and and your partner is um, abusing you verbally or calling you names consistently, there is no respect there. So therefore there is no love there. And so no matter how much the person says, no, but he or she loves me. No, they don't because they can't. If they are disrespecting you on a, on a consistent basis. Now trying to understand that I don't mean that these five things exist all the time at perfect levels. Of course not. We're human. So we're fallible, but overall, those things must be there for love to truly exist. Yeah. Now on the commitment side of the relationship, this is where we talk about not necessarily shared, but respected and agreed upon value systems, morals, ethics, traditions, beliefs. About the relationship and about life. Hmm. So that could be, for instance, you know, on a very basic level, if, if you, and uh, you believe that it's okay to go out with your friends until, you know, very late hours of the night without your partner. And that's fine. But your partner doesn't believe that now there's a big disconnect, right. And, mm-hmm. and sort of values there. So you don't have to agree upon it in order for you guys to continue, but there must be a common ground. Yeah. Whereas, okay. That maybe you won't go out to the wee hours of the night, but you'll come back at a late hour, but a decent ish hour for your partner to feel comfortable, or you'll go Go out with people that your partner feels comfortable with. So it's about finding that kind of compromise is what we talk about in terms of, I will adjust to my partner in terms of finding the shared commitment Mm. for this relationship. But what you don't want to end up doing, and this is where the toxic relationships start to come in, is compromising who you are as an individual. So you compromise your own values. So for instance... If you do value a sense of uh, spirituality in the relationship and your partner does not in any way shape or form right and we're not talking about religiousness, we're just talking about spirituality. yeah so if you value that and your partner consistently makes fun of it, diminishes mm. it, minimizes it, that is disrespectful. So if you stop being spiritual. Throughout the relationship, slowly, slowly, as time passes, not consciously, but it just sort of happens. Yeah, he's... to
0: avoid conflict, right, to exactly. avoid being in that situation where yes. you're constantly
1: being put down. Of course. Then what ends up happening is you lose a big like, part of your value system. Right. So this is what we mean as a difference in compromising values so that you can have shared values versus compromising yourself, which is completely let going of things uh, or letting go wow, that was very bad grammar, but (laughs) letting go of things that really truly matter to you in order for you to just appease the person in front of you.
0: Right. One of the definitions I have for toxic love uh, is that it's typically associated with very strong highs where both partners feel jubilant and passionate. And then the lowest of lows often resulting in depression and generally feeling stressed out for very long periods of time. And One of the things that I have seen in, in some of the people that I've known is that some of these things happen along the way. Mm -hmm. So, like you're saying that you, you may make some basic compromises as long as it doesn't affect your individuality. But what happens when you get into a relationship and your partner changes? So I had somebody, uh, I remember a friend of mine who said, my husband all of a sudden wants me to dress differently. Now we've been dating for about five years and, you know, we've gotten married. He knew who I was. He knew how I dressed, what I did, my lifestyle. All of a sudden, after we've gotten married, he's starting to say, you can't wear this. You can't go out in public like that. You need to cover up more. How do you navigate that? How do you deal with something like that where a partner changes their behavior after you've gotten into that commitment? Well, you know, I think that's
1: ultimately the risk you take when you're getting into a relationship because nobody stays the same their whole life. People change and then you have to reevaluate whether or not that change works for you and whether or not that change can be compromised. Now, I'm not saying that every 5 years you should change partners because people <laughs> change.
0: But <laughs> we are not saying and that. that I'm repeating
1: it. No, no, especially <laughs> as a psychologist, I do not condone that. <laughs> no way. However, what I am saying is you can with effective communication. This is something I stress more than anything else in working with couples or even on the radio shows like I always stress, effective communication is what makes a relationship continue even through change. So even in a situation where, like you were mentioning, her husband all of a sudden is telling her, you know, you can't wear this, you can't wear that. I would I would venture to say, well, hold on a second. You knew him before, before this. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel a sense of traditionalism or a sense of conservatism in him beforehand, before you got married? And did you... Feel it, but then just sort of push it aside because you guys were dating. And right. so, do you see what I mean? Because people don't all of a sudden change. There are there is change there, but you probably have just seen it now. Yeah. The change is somewhat gradual, but sometimes it can be abrupt in certain specific situations. But let's go with the idea that it was abrupt. Mm just going to like, no, I'm not going to listen to you. Like I've never, this is who I am. You know, that's not conducive to the relationship either. So maybe discussing the, like, what is it, w- what is it that you feel is more comfortable for you in terms of what I wear and why, why is this more important to you now than it was before? Is there a sense of maybe new social structure that's mm-hmm. in there, something cultural that's in there? Is there family that's being, that's affecting them? So ultimately, finding out what's going on. Like if this was your friend, you would ask more questions rather than quickly judge it because it's something you don't like. So do the same for your spouse, ask more questions, find out where the, or what is the purpose or the value behind what they're saying to you?
0: Yeah, I think you're so, so, so right with that, where that's concerned, because I think what happens is that when a loved one says something to you, you react immediately. So you're not really taking the time to sit back and say, okay, let me step back a second. This is a person I love. This is a person I know really well. Where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. Why has this become an issue? And I think that there's no communication. It's, it's almost like someone's throwing something at you and you're hitting it back. And then that's, it becomes from that one thing, it goes on to several other things where now, I guess, if you, if you look at it an hour later, after arguing with each other, Mm -hmm. you don't even know where this started because (laughs) you have brought every single issue you've had, let's say in the last five years or whatever with each other, but, but your mother said this, but this happened and that happened. And then all of a sudden you're like. Why did we start fighting? Right. And and I think that communication is is lacking. But
1: it's not easy to do either. No, it's definitely not. And you know, when you had said no communication, I reacted because for us and as psychologists, there's no such thing as no communication. Because even silence is the strongest form of communication. Yes. So effective. All, exactly. So when we talk about communication, we're looking for effective communication. And that means stop finger pointing, stop blaming the other person for the things that are happening in your life. You are just as responsible as they are. So what is happening right now is a 50, 50 split. Yeah. There has to be something that you are also doing to contribute to this type of behavior. I am not suggesting that all types of behaviors are you know, 50, 50, there are some things that are definitely like more one-sided than the other. For instance, in terms of abusive relationships, mm-hmm. there is nothing there that the person made me angry. So I hit them. No, that does not exist. However, in more often in non-abusive relationships, the relationship is 50, 50, right? Even in cases of infidelity. And this is sometimes some of the hardest things that my clients have to hear when they come to me for affairs or infidelity And usually more often than not, no matter who's the cheating partner, I will always find that the other partner was, had stopped doing something in their life Mm -hmm. to that, to the, to the cheating partner. And so there is always a change. There's always realization that both of us are responsible for those, for this relationship. It is not one-sided. There's a small percentage of people on this planet that really do not care what well, if they are cheating on their spouses and they don't care how that makes them feel? That is a very small percentage. Yeah. They're More
0: serially like they're wired like that. They just <laughs> don't not want to be yes, in a, a monogamous no relationship. Empathy. There's
1: no care for the, for the pain that they cause. But that's a very small percentage. Right. We're, when we're talking about infidelity in general. We're talking about the fact of a person is is cheating for a reason Th- that doesn't make it okay at all, but yeah. there is a reason behind it. It's not just, oh, they wanted to be with somebody
0: else. Right. Right. And, and, and that takes me to, to talk about really, like you're saying, there is a difference between abusive relationships and toxic relationships. Not all toxic relationships have to be physically abusive.
1: Right. Of course. uh, Not all toxic relationships have to be abusive and, but all abusive relationships are toxic relationships. Definitely. Right. so. And a toxic relationship, like I said, is a draining one, right? And so if you're in an abusive relationship, it is toxic, but abusive relationships can be verbally abusive, could be mentally, emotionally, or even physically abusive. But ultimately what you will find is that in abuse itself, it's, it's recurrent. It's something that's, that's done, um, not necessarily on a daily basis, but it is done in a significant manner and, and with the intent to hurt the individual. Yeah. Whereas with toxic relationships, the
0: intention might not necessarily be there, but it's still a toxic relationship. You trigger each other. Right. There's something that's that's wrong in that, in that relationship that's constantly triggering and bringing out the worst in each other. And like you're saying, it's not one sided it is 50-50 you are both causing it maybe one person triggers it but you're taking on the trigger and then you are hitting back with something that's effectively triggering triggering the other person and you're going down this rabbit hole where you know it's it's a no win situation right and this can happen in any relationship we're talking about it could be a parent child relationship it could be you know at work it could be a friend it could be obviously a partner so it's not really limited to an intimate relationship. Of
1: course, it can even be between siblings. I mean, toxic relationships can happen anywhere. Ultimately, what we're talking about is a is is a tendency for you to feel drained in the relationship and feel like your emotional energy is just depleting consistently.
0: Yeah, they constantly bring you down.
1: They, yeah. they, they take away all of your, they bring nothing positive to your life. Well, it's not that they, they don't bring anything positive to, the, to your life because a lot of toxic relationships, what we find is that they have really high highs but the lows are more consistent. And so people start holding on to the highs. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, oh yeah, but you know, last time this person did this for me and it was such a nice thing that they did. And I I would say, yes, that was such a nice thing. But let's go into the day-to-day. What does that look like for you? Because you're holding on to this one great thing because it felt so good. But really the day to day is just emotional depletion. And so ultimately when I talk about relationships and even the breakup of relationships, I discuss it as there's, a, there are three units in a relationship. There's the one individual, the second individual, and then there's the relationship. Mm-hmm. And when you are in a, re- when you decide that this is a toxic relationship, I need to move away. You're not rejecting the ind- the other individual. You're rejecting the relationship. Right. Because you can't reject something you've already accepted. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've accepted this person into your life, which means on some level you found value to to them being in your life. Right. Once the relationship though forms, which is a different unit, Mm -hmm. then what you've decided is whether or not this person in this context is good for me. Right. So the rejection is of the the unit, the relationship unit, rather than of the person themselves. Yeah. So you don't
0: have to be a toxic person to be in a toxic relationship. You could be perfectly fine with everybody else in your life. It's just that There's that one person that constantly rubs you off the wrong wrong way, depletes you of energy and you just it brings out the worst in you. Of course. And then sometimes I believe that you go back and you think of how you behaved and you're shocked at how you're able to behave at that level with that person because that's not how you are with anyone else in your life.
1: Right. And you are still responsible for that behavior. This is not to say that, you know, you are the victim of that situation. You are just as responsible to be self-aware and self-reflective that these things are causing... Um, a tr- they're triggering something within you that is making you respond in a certain way mm-hmm. uh, or react rather um, in a certain way. And, and if you, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So when we, re- we leave a relationship, we can look back and be like, Oh my God, who is this person? Yeah. This person's not me well, actually that person is you, but it's, it's you at your worst. It's you when you're not being reflective and you're not paying attention to what your body's and your mind and your soul and your emotions are telling you, right? That's what that looks like. And so recognizing that is not a way to blame yourself for what happened, but it's just a way for you to, to realize that you need to be an agent in your relationships. You can't passively sit by and hope that things are going to work out. You have to constantly be active and reevaluate your relationship. See what's working, see what's not. Always evaluate how you're feeling because that will be a great indicator as to what the status of the
0: relationship looks like. So how do you recognize when it's just a little bump in the road or when it's actually a big glaring stop signs that says you need to get out? When does it get to a point where it's just, I guess, affecting you in such a negative way that it's affecting every other aspect of your life?
1: I would have to say the key word here is consistency. So, you know, people go through negative spells in their relationship and I think that's fine. That Mm -hmm. happens with all relationships and it's not because you hit a bump in the road and that could be like a three-month bump or like a six-month bump. Um, So it's not because you run into a bump in the road that you just veer off the road. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a, a level of, okay, what do I need to do with this relationship. And what do I, how do I see this relationship right now for what it is? Mm -hmm. However, if this, if the bump in the road is the anomaly, then this is where we continue to fight. Whereas if you look at the relationship and you realize that actually this bump is a little bit more consistent, it's more like it happens once a month, but it lasts for two weeks or it happens once every day or once every three days. And when it does, it hits hard. And this has been going on for years. Mm-hmm. Or even when you, when I look back, this has been going on for a very long time, a lot longer than the marriage or the beginning of our exclusivity of the relationship. It's been there even before. Now, what I would also caution is that the tendency for people to, um, you sort of, you find what you look for in a relationship. So if you're looking for negativity, you'll find it everywhere. So sometimes right. it's good to get a third opinion. And by third opinion, I mean somebody who's completely, completely objective. Don't go talk to your friends because they are not objective. Right. Um, you need, it's, it's beneficial to sometimes speak to a therapist because ultimately the therapist is going to make you look at something from a different perspective. Yeah. But ultimately, even if you don't see a therapist, it's about you looking at the situation in a different perspective as well, because your partner can't be all bad. If they are all bad, then there's, there shouldn't have been a reason why you're with them to begin with. So ultimately there are some things that are working, some things that aren't, but if you're noticing that the things that are not working are, are very consistent and they're very emotionally draining, then now you are in a toxic relationship.
0: Yeah. And, and what, what are those signs other than the consistency? Like some of the things I have here that could be signs are like, it You constantly feel bad. All the time. There's just something that's, that's just, as you said, it's draining you. You're always, every argument turns out with, I told you so, you're being put down, like you're saying. You avoid saying what you think because you just want to avoid an argument and you know everything is going to turn into an argument. And nothing ever gets resolved or one person wins or w- they think they're winning the argument, but it's usually because the other person has just given up arguing. It's mm-hmm. not because you've reached an understanding or resolved any of the issues because. You're not really talking about the issue here. Right. You're just triggering each other and bringing everything, you know, like every single weapon you have and and throwing it at each other. And that's got to really affect you in all aspects of your life. Like when you go out, there's no way that you can go out and function in a normal way with your friends, if you're having this problem at home with your partner, there's no way that you can have other social relationships. It has got to seep in to everything else that you do. Of course, because ultimately it seeps into yourself and your own Mm self-identity
1: and you internalize what's happening at home to who you are as an individual and who you are as an individual translates and, and, and is, you know, is affects everything that is around you in terms of your relationships with coworkers, with friends, with the, in social situations, your confidence gets affected. So all of those things, you know, whatever happens at home affects your, your external life because of the fact that it affects you as an individual.
0: Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like as adults, it's so difficult for us to understand what we are going through when we are going through it, because everything just it's confusing it doesn't make sense and like you're saying you have these extreme highs that you hold on to and then you have these crazy lows that you're trying to brush off and ignore i want to understand what this could do to a child because in a in it, how do you see the signs that your child may be in a tro- toxic friendship or maybe experiencing something that is toxic you know in school or in college so um,
1: when we talk about
0: children, because it's, it's just
1: a big age group, right? So yeah. in the younger years, usually they're really good at telling you. Yeah. So yeah. they will say, you know, mom, dad, like uh, my friend always makes fun of me or they always do this and they always do that. And that makes me sad. So you, th- those children will definitely tell yeah. you. It's the teenagers. The, the teenagers will not Most in any difficult. way. Sure, <laughs> will not say anything to you because parents are are, are devils, at, <laughs> are the devils.
0: Yeah. Um, I've got two at home. So,
1: <laughs> so, um, but you will notice a behavioral shift and a mood shift. Um, but how
0: do you notice or distinguish between them being a regular teenager and them having trouble that they just won't share with you? I mean, there's got to be signs because there are so many people who have tragic situations at home with their teenagers doing extreme things to themselves. So what kind of signs would you, be able to notice or you should look out for as a parent? So mood
1: changes may not necessarily be a sign because that's also a hormonal developmental Mm -hmm. stage. So that Mm -hmm. can be um, quite tricky. So I wouldn't really hold that. Yeah. But I would say if there are quite a few things that you're noticing, for instance, your child is isolating and like your teenager is isolating a lot more than they used to. Their grades are dropping and they never did before. Mm-hmm. They no longer take care of themselves physically. Um, their personal hygiene is going down. So their mood is low, but not in the sense of like that. Um, you know, it's, I'm just in a bad mood today. It's yeah. more like it's low and consistent. Yeah. So the clump of sim- symptoms might be something that you want to check and look into, but not in isolation. So if the grades are dropping it doesn't necessarily mean they're in a toxic relationship so you sort of want to look at it as a whole and approach your teenager because ultimately teenagers will never come and talk to you mm-hmm. unless you know they're just that type of person where they will come and and, and talk to you and sort of like open up however um, more often than not they will respond in specific ways not very direct ways mm-hmm. to 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 let you have a hint of what's going on yeah. so it could just be you know you'll get Hey, they'll slip what?
0: something into yeah, a conversation. They'll throw it in
1: there somewhere, you know. Like, is everything okay at school? Like, if you ask your child, everything okay with your friends? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, you know, just a couple things here and there. You know, yeah. they'll they'll throw that out and don't push. Give them some time to like develop the the sort of the strength within themselves that they feel they need, even though they are quite strong at that age anyways, um, in order to approach you and talk to you friends, family members, adults. I mean, ultimately you can tell that they're in a toxic relationship when they are really changing who they are as individuals mm. and you can see them unhappy in many different ways. Now people are really good at faking their happiness. They put that <laughs> smile on their face and out, yeah. when you're, when you're close friends with somebody, you can sort of see one behind on one.
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like that's a very fine line to cross because when somebody tells you something and you listen to them talk about it and you see a pattern and you want to help them but obviously we don't have the tools uh that they need and, and especially if it is if it is a relationship that's very close it could be whether it's with your sp- sibling whether it's your with your parent whether it's your with your partner if you say something and Things go, go right. They would, they would turn around and blame you to say, you know, I came to you in confidence. You said something that was against my loved one. If you don't say anything, they could, things could get worse and they could still say that I came to you and you didn't help me. Right. So it's a very <laughs> difficult situation to, to situation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like uh, one of the things that I have realized after talking to a lot of people, after talking to therapists such as yourself is that family, friends are just not the right people to help you when you are in something that is psychologically and emotionally affecting you. They can support you. They can say, you know what, I think you need to go and see somebody. But I don't think that they have the tools to be able to help you navigate through this emotional trauma, because like you're saying, it's not possible for them to be objective. Mm -hmm. They're either going to turn around and, and say, you know what, there's nothing wrong in your marriage. Everything is fine because they don't want your marriage to break up. And then they're not focusing on exactly what you're looking at. Or they could turn around and say, you know, get out of it right now. So again, being a family member, it's difficult because you don't know what to say. And then going to a family member, you don't know what you expect from them. Right. So- how do you help somebody who's going through this trauma and kind of get them? Because I have been in a situation where I've had a friend who's come to me with things that she's shared with me about her marriage, which seems toxic to me, mm-hmm. but it's such a difficult thing. I How do you go and tell somebody that, look, this is really not okay? You know, it's not this kind of verbal abuse. Like one of the things she would say is that I've started to become very anxious and, uh, I can't take the smallest of decisions. And then when we spoke a little bit more, it came down to the fact that her husband constantly puts her down. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so stupid. Are you sure this is your taste level? I mean, this is the kind of things that you like. I can't believe, you know, you're so lucky you have me. And that has been happening for such a long time that, that my friend is... She believes is, it. Not only started to believe it, but started to really have a fear to take any single decision, Mm -hmm. even if it is about going to find a place to eat. Right. So how do you tell somebody like that? You need to do something. Obviously, you can't say you need to get out.
1: Yeah. No, you you should never. Yeah. You don't don't want to
0: give advice.
1: (laughs) Yes. Because, you know, as psychologists, we don't give advice for that specific purpose, because A, if you give someone advice and the advice is good, then we make them dependent on us, which is not the purpose of therapy. Mm. And B, if we give them advice and the advice is bad, then they come back and they blame us, which Mm. is also not productive because ultimately nobody's putting a gun to anybody's head and they're still making their own choices, but they'll find somebody to blame. Mm. So the idea of advice giving in in essence is
0: a horrendous, (laughs) horrendous idea. Isn't it more difficult if, they're coming to you because the thing is that they are almost dumping their emotional garbage Mm -hmm. on you. They're opening up to you. So what really do they expect from you? What are you supposed to say? You listen to them and say, okay, if you don't say something, obviously the person feels I just shared, you know, such a traumatic experience with you and you're not saying anything. And if you say something, it's just, they somehow seem to backtrack and and say oh it's not that bad right (laughs) because people get defensive
1: because all of a sudden you're making them hear out loud what is the reality in their mind that they've been denying for such a long time? So the last yeah. thing that you want to say to somebody who comes to you with, with a toxic or an abusive relationship is don't talk to that person anymore or walk away. Because if you say that, then there, and and this is proven in, in research, when we talk about arguments in general, even speakers and politicians have learned this, that when you are far on white one side, people will reject what you're saying because you're too extreme. And so when you go to that full extreme of just leave the person mm. or like walk away from this relationship, they're going to be like, wait, what's no, you're not listening yes, to what I'm saying. That's not what I want to do. <laughs> exactly. And maybe in the context of their life, it's not something they can do either. Mm. So it may be something they want, but it's not feasible for their, for their life. But at the same time, you don't want to just sit there like dumbfounded and not give any kind of input. So in general, and this is something that we do therapeutically as well is try to figure out what is it for them um, that is is sparking this term, uh, this sort of conflict. So, for instance, if somebody says, "You know, my husband is this, my husband is that, and he's being abusive, and and all of this," or my wife, whichever spouse it is, I'll usually say, "Okay, so let's start from the beginning. What was it that that?" um, sparked you to marry, to marry or be with this person? Hmm. Where did that happen? And how were these decisions made for you? And then when we got here and now there's this abuse and there's him belittling me or her belittling me or all of these things. Okay. So in this, in this context, what have you tried that hasn't worked? So Hmm. first I want to find out what have, what have they tried? Because what if they have tried leaving and they couldn't, right? So I don't want to presume that I know exactly what they've tried. So some of the first things that I focus on is what's, what have you tried? Mm -hmm. And then if they say, well, I haven't really tried anything. I just let them do, or let her do whatever they want. And then usually that just makes things go away. And then I'm like, well, obviously that's not working. So let's try something else. What else can we try? So it's about working with the individual to find different solutions that works for them, but also instilling a sense of self-confidence and empowerment Mm. within themselves, because people, when they're you know, you said dumping their emotional garbage on you. And I think what they're really trying to do is they're trying to find somebody and they have, by talking to you, they found someone that they can trust and be vulnerable with emotionally. Mm. And that's a very powerful feeling for, for many people. And that can cause a lot of anxiety for the receiver of that information. Yeah. So it automatically becomes, oh my God, I have to solve this. Yeah, I have They're to help. giving me this information. I have to help. I have to do something. No, you don't. You just need to listen. Because by validating their feelings, by encouraging them to explore their own process, you empower them to make their own decision that works for them, not for you. And I think that is very powerful for people because, you know, the, the famous saying is like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. It's the same idea. You can tell people all you want until you turn blue what they need to do. But if they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. And especially in toxic relationships and even worse in abusive relationships, that's how we can see it and judge it from the outside on our white horses. We can be like, Oh yeah, you know what? They don't leave because, you know, they're weak or they don't know what they're doing or blah, blah, blah. But that's not actually the case. We don't have all the information. Even when somebody's coming at you with emotional, you know, you called it emotional garbage. You don't know the other side. Mm-hmm. So they might you be don't. coming at you with all of this information, but you don't know what's sparking everything in the background. So before you jump in to be the savior and be the hero, try to allow them to explore their own process first mm. and give them this, like the feeling of strength in order for them to make the decisions that are necessary for their life.
0: Sure. But that can be a very difficult thing because you are watching them mm-hmm. go through that process toxic relationship. After they've told you everything, like you're saying, people pretend that everything is okay. So when you are close to somebody, you're not just sitting with them one-on-one and listening to them tell you. Uh, You're also going back into real life and watching them pretend Everything is okay. Absolutely. Which obviously has a toll on your friendship or your relationship with that person, whether you're a parent or a sibling or, you know, because you're looking at this person who's coming to you and opening up to you and telling you how bad things are and then going back to pretending Things are great. And that's why mental health professionals don't work with their families. Yeah,
1: exactly. And we don't work with our friends either because this is a very complicated situation yeah. and it's and you're crossing a lot of boundaries and there's a lot of conflict of interest. And at that moment, you are no longer effective, exactly. which is why initially when it comes to toxic relationships or even abusive relationships, your friends are not the right people to talk to and your family Absolutely. is definitely not the right solution. They can't be like, objective. Solution.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the thing that people need to understand, that you need to go to somebody who's objective. It's great to have a friend or a sibling or, you know, somebody in your family where you feel close enough to talk to them about something that is so personal to you. But how can they help you if you're not willing to take on that help? I mean, there's just, it's a no-win situation. The way I look at it, I, I cannot feel, I don't feel that there's, in any scenario, I could be effective as a friend. Whatever I say is not going to
1: make sense. Well, I don't think that you you have no effectiveness um, as a friend. I think validating your friend's feelings and experiences is a very powerful tool from a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, It can make them feel a, a bit empowered as well that, okay, I'm not out of my mind, my friend here is listening to me and they're not looking at me like I'm crazy. They're not looking at me, but at the same time, they're not jumping down my neck Mm. and my throat. And I have to do this and I have to do that. They're really just giving me a safe place for me to express how I feel. Mm. And I think as a friend, you also have to, and, and this is where the irony comes in is that your relationship with that person starts to become a bit toxic. Yeah. Because if they're always doing this with you, mm. coming at you and talking to you and, and complaining about so their you're spouse. you're part of that now, right?
0: right? you're not it's only like part, you're of part of like you're part of their relationship because yeah, they feel they can tell exactly. you everything.
1: But you're also feeling helpless mm-hmm. because you feel like nothing that I have done has helped at all. And then mm-hmm. they're, they're, you start to carry that emotional guilt and that emotional heaviness. So there has to be a, an, a, a place where you ha- have to say, okay, you know what? I will be here by your side and I will support you in everything that you decide for the rest of your life. But right now you have consistently spoken to me about your toxic relationship. and yet yet nothing is changing.. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's not changing because maybe you're not trying, but it maybe it's not changing because I'm not the right person to talk to about this. So maybe you need somebody a a bit more professional to help you in this matter. So a bit more objective to help you in this matter because I am finding this very emotionally draining Mm -hmm. for me to not be able to help you through this because I'm observing my friend's suffering. And for me, that kills me. And I want to help you. And I never want you to stop talking to me, but I also want you to be able to move forward. Mm -hmm. So you can still always talk to me but you need to also start moving forward. And if you choose not to, and I don't think you should continue with that, but like there has to be a level that if you say that to your friend and they, they don't seek help, then you need to stand up and be assertive for yourself and say, you know what? I've done everything that I can at this point. I think this is a topic we can't talk about anymore just because I there's nothing more I can do.
0: You need to draw a line. Right. You need to know when your relationship is now getting toxic. absolutely, Because that's now adding on to the problem and not solving <coughs> anything whatsoever so when you come to that situation where the person is not listening the person is still going through all of these things you've you've noticed the signs they've they've shared things with you and they refuse to get help and and you you're saying that you still have to be a friend to say yes you know i'm going to listen to you but i can't help you yeah. But there has to be something like an intervention at some point where you see that this has really gotten out of hand and it's affecting every part of their life. One of the things that that hit me, I, I watched this movie, I, Tonya, recently, mm. and, uh, you know, it was such a sad movie. I, I just couldn't imagine somebody who had that level of skill as, you know, who could have been a world champion, won gold at the Olympic in, in ice skating, didn't or wasn't able to get there because of the toxic relationships in her life she was mm-hmm. in an abusive relationship with her mother she got into another abusive relationship with a man who she married divorced and then got back with him who actually ended up ruining her life in the end and and it's a pattern when right. you see somebody going through that you want to help them you want them to help themselves and they don't you can't just walk away from it as well i mean actually um and this is
1: where where the difficulty comes in is that yes, you can. And yes, you should. should. Yes. No, you can. And you should, because the reality is, um, you can't force people to do what you want them to do for their lives. Mm. And you don't have to stick around either to watch them ruin their lives. Now, I know that's a very hard pill for people to swallow because they're like, you're basically saying I'm going to walk away from my friends because they don't do what I want. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you're walking away from a toxic relationship because their relationships are toxic. And now your relationship has become toxic. So you are not rejecting your friend. You're not pushing them away, but you're saying to yourself that there's not much more I can do. And that's where our discomfort kicks in where we say things like I'm walking away from my friend. I'm walking away from my best friend. I'm being selfish. No, you're not being selfish because the alternative is you're going to stay in this relationship with your friend who's in a toxic relationship and you're going to constantly feel that emotional guilt. You're going to constantly feel that drainage. You're going to feel that emotional heaviness every time you see them, every time you spend time with them. And every time you're about to spend time with them, that you're going to start to change your behavior towards them, right? You're going to get a bit more resentful. You'll become a bit more aggressive. You'll be, you'll start to avoid them, which is much worse than coming out right and saying, look, I want to be here for you and I will always be here for you. But until this is taken care of in a way that I will no longer be affected by it, that we cannot continue you can call me at any moment and any time our friendship is always there but sometimes we also have to recognize our limitations and say we need to back off and we need to allow people to go through their process and sometimes people will emerge you know victorious and sometimes they don't right and that's something that is very difficult for us to also accept is to basically we take responsibility we say well i walked away from them and they got yeah. worse No, they didn't get worse because you walked away. They got worse because they've chosen after many times of your intervention to continue being in this
0: relationship in the way that it was. Sure, and but that's got to be a lot harder when it's your family member, when it's your parent or it's your child or it's your sibling. Of course, it's, even right. if it's you're hard not, all around. Yeah. Even yeah. if you're not the person who's in the toxic relationship mm-hmm. and you're just trying to support somebody who is in it, right. you know, somehow you get sucked in and you get involved and, Absolutely. and it, you, you become part of the problem rather than part of the solution yeah. and you're not able to be effective. So what you're saying is that if you come to that point, you need to step away. Yeah, you know, it's
1: synonymous to things like drug addiction, for instance, instance, alcoholism. The family members, and we see this time and time again, family members will do everything under the sun to help that person. But if that person doesn't want help, nothing will change. And being by their side and allowing them to continue that behavior is only enabling that behavior. Right. Sometimes you have to let a person hit rock bottom for them to, to come back up. And I'm not saying off the bat. I'm saying after many, many times of you trying many different interventions, many professional uh, help that you can get to bring other people, you know, you do everything that you can within your power. Yeah. And even professionally, you ask for professional help within your power. But then at one point you need to realize that it's not in my hands. There's nothing that I can do if this person is not willing to help me. And it's, it's very synonymous as well. To our therapy sessions. So, as mental health professionals, we know that we are responsible for fifty percent of this of our therapeutic relationship, and the other, our our clients are responsible for the other fifty. Yeah. So, as much as us as as mental health professionals, we want our clients to get better, and we want them to do the things that you know we suggest for them in terms of like physical activity, eating healthy, sleeping healthy, all of these things to to implement the things that we talk about to grow and to to thrive. As much as we want that, we Mm. can't force them to do it. Yeah, you can't make them do anything they don't want to do. Exactly, and as and our clients, some of them will fight for their life, and then some of them won't. And unfortunately, some of them we end up losing. And the more often than not, we hope that we never do, which is true. Of course, but the reality is is that all mental health professionals know that at one point there might be. And this is the, and this is the worst case scenario, but ultimately when you are with friends, family members, colleagues, whoever it is that you realize children that are suffering from a toxic relationship, helping them in every way and really fighting for them Mm -hmm. sometimes can actually make that bigger change because they'll realize that, oh no, look, I am worthy. There's somebody that's fighting for me. It's not one person now. It's like 50 people now that are fighting for me. And that might be enough. Maybe not in the moment. But maybe like
0: six months down the line, some point it will click in to say, why am I doing this? I have everybody I need around. Right. Yeah. So you just have to make sure that you give them that support. Mm -hmm. And and as you're saying, sometimes you just don't have a solution. You just have to be there and just, you know, let them figure it out. Right. Thank you so much. Dr. Thraya, this has been amazing. I hope there are a lot more topics that we can bring to the table so that, you know, we can we can make mental health and talking about mental health something that is not taboo anymore. Right. Yeah. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. And thank you for being on the podcast again. Thanks. This is Kanchan Kulkarni saying goodbye for now and speak to you again soon.